What a great morning we're having so far. That was a beautiful reading of Psalm 122, which is the uh, text of what we'll be looking at today, one of the psalms or songs of ascent written by David himself. And, uh, and I was uh, reading the, uh, this uh, psalm, and it really dawned on me that, that David was an obsessed kind of guy. And uh, when he loved something, he would invest heavily into it. He would he'd put all of his time and energy to acquire certain things. And, and I was wondering how many of you, like myself, can get obsessed about things. Any, anybody here? Maybe, maybe, you know, it was getting your driver's license at 16. And uh, I got my driver's license. I, I think I flunked it three times, and then finally the Ashland DMV gave it to me. And I totaled the car within a week. Uh, yeah, my dad was nervous. He didn't want to teach me, so I learned by uh, using someone else as my brakes. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we've all seen people, or maybe we are that person, that we lock and load. We get into something, and we really go after it. And some people might make it uh, a pursuit of, of a singing career. Uh, I used to watch American Idol when uh, Simon was there. And uh, we learned, Kim and I learned, to not watch the first few weeks, because that's when all the people that were deranged sang. And, 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 and they couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. And then when Simon said, you know, that was caterwauling and it was horrible, and some people thought that's funny, we just thought it was terrible. It's, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't pick on people with a mental disorder. And, and they're crying, you know, they, they, I mean, no talent whatsoever. In fact, when they sang, the actual spirit of music left the room. And, and, and they're crying like, this has been my dream to be an American Idol. Yeah, but you know, you, you, it's a singing contest. It's not a dreaming contest, it's a singing contest. And, and you probably need to go try again. And, and Simon, even in his brusque English manner, he'd actually try to be compassionate and say, you probably need to take up dart throwing or something else. And, and people, oh, Simon, you're just, you know, Simon Scowl, you know. Uh, you, you, you just have no compassion, but it was actually compassionate to say, take that same energy and put it in an area where it can pay back. So, you know, think about the things that people will, uh, they'll, they'll spend all they have to acquire. Maybe uh, like the one lady that's had like numbers of surgeries and uh, she looks like a human Barbie doll. She's had uh, number, numerous surgeries on her nose, complexion, hair, you know, cheek line. And, you know, you're thinking, wow, you know, you put all that money into looking good. And guess what? You can look great and just say something stupid and people just walk away anyway. I, I have that happen all the time, being the most handsome man in the world. And still people disagree with me from time to time. So, so I relate to these things. Obsession. Getting locked into things that mean everything to you. Um, now that we're done talking about me, let's talk about me. And uh, I have two major obsessions that you probably have picked up on. One is family, and one is God. And, and, and I, I really believe that, that God gathers us into families so that we would actually get invested in raising our own babies. Okay? 
I tell people, you know, because sometimes people will try to outsource their children to me. You need to go deal with my child. You need to do this. And I said, I don't think I was there at the conception, was I? No. No, I don't think so either. So I have a rule of thumb. If you conceived them, then raise them. And I was at the conception of all my children. And so I'm really invested in that they are safe and strong and they're equipped and they're protected. And Kim and I are still crazy. We'll buy lunch for her, for Natalie. And her and Riley could buy and sell us any day, but she'll still take the free lunch. Natalie. <laughs> Natalie Amon of Central Point. I'll give you her address so you can go out, stand out there with picket signs. But <laughs> have you ever noticed that as a parent, one of the rules of thumb as a parent, it doesn't matter how much money your kids have, it's the rule is parents pay for dinner. I figured that out completely right after my mom and dad both passed away. Darn it. <laughs> David had a couple of obsessions. He had an obsession with wanting to live in and entertain the presence of God. You know, I find that there are people that really want to know God. They just can't live in sin and compromise. And then others that would just as soon have the get out of jail free card. They, they, they want the blood of Jesus to get them to heaven, but they don't want to mess with God and know him and entertain him on earth. Now, I believe that you can be born again and basically your, your faith is kind of like fire insurance. I think it's possible for you to be born of God, and yet a child that doesn't really want to be on daddy's lap. The child that doesn't want to really be close. That was not David. And so David had this obsession with, I want the presence of God, and we'll go into it a little bit more in a minute. His other obsession was, he was <laughs> definitely, apparently, bipolar. He could be singing... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, I shall not want, he makes me, you know. And he could be doing the shepherd psalm and in a minute be out in battle. But it wasn't for David. David had a compassion for family, for the weak, for the covenant people of God, even down to the sheep that his father owned. And so we see that many times the, that we will evidence our root drives even from an early age. I, I love to see the, the, the young kids at Joy. And that's why Kim and I, from the very first youth camp, we go to youth camp every year and we stay there all week. Foolishly, we even stay for cleanup. And then if God's really mad at us, we drive children home. You know, that's the ultimate punishment as they're sugared up and talking about youth camp at 400 decibels in my ear. But one of the things that we like to see is we like to see who's coming up the ranks that who's the lover of God? Which, which of the young people just, they groan for God? You, you don't have to over counsel people that groan for God. It's just the people that kind of want to have God work for them. You're always trying to adjust them and tell them why they need to get in the game. 
that David was not that kind of a guy. And so he loved God. And number two, he from an early age showed that he was invested in risking himself for something weak. Think about David. He's, he's a young man. He's not knowing he was David. He was just Davy. And so he's out in these hidden valleys, assigned as the youngest son to go do the, the menial task of just keeping an eye on white fluffy things called sheep. But the problem with white fluffy things are they're vulnerable and things like lions and bears like to come in and eat them. And so here's Dave. He's making instruments and he's playing lute and a lyre and whatever he played, you know, the harp, singing to God with his one obsession, the presence of God, to sing praise to God and to visualize the Lord in his temple, to visualize spiritual things. And all of a sudden, that telltale sound of a predator. And instantly, up, and that fury of a strong man would come on him. And he, he told, he said, I took on a lion when it came. It had, you know, and a bear, I believe it was the bear, had one of the lambs in its mouth. And he came in and he risked it. So I've been at the Valley of Elah in Israel just about a month and a half ago. I stood there where David fought Goliath. And that same kind of a protective nature is he'd been spending time with God and he knew that God is a warrior. He knew that God loves his people more than anything else. And all of a sudden he sees a nine foot guy cursing and every one of his home team were afraid and terrified. For days, Neither the Philistines had the boldness to press the battle. Neither did the Israelites. But David came in. And he surveys this and he goes, what's with the big loudmouth, uncircumcised Philistine cursing God, cursing the armies of Israel? He said, is anyone going to take care of him? And his brother said, oh man, stop it, dude. You were just the food delivery boy. You were the Uber driver. And he goes, no, there's a cause. They, Saul tried to, Saul hears that there's a guy. There's a guy that wants to fight him. And in comes the kid. And he puts armor on him and he's clanging around. And Dave said, can I just wear my own? And he came out there and he said, hey, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He also had a couple of tricks up his sleeve. One Fat guys with heavy metal on them can't chase you through the valley that easily. Number two, if you've been to Israel, it's nothing but a number of rocks. It's not like you're running out of stones. And so, so the miracle was that on the first one, as he comes running towards the giant, Goliath, shunk, and Goliath said, oh my gosh, nothing like that's ever entered my mind before. And David took off the man's own sword, hacked off his head, and held it up. And suddenly, all of Israel got a big, heavy drink of courage. That was David. So we find in Psalm 122, these two obsessions come together. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together where, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to do, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I just was in Israel about a month and a half ago, and, and one of the highlights, I, I've just been talking about it like continually, is the city of David. The city of David was unknown where it actually was. Jerusalem was easy to identify, where the Temple Mount was easy to develop, to identify, but, you know, we, we, we think in terms of large capital city. Like, Washington, D.C. is our capital, but our largest city in the country is New York City. You get into places like, like Mexico City, there's 30 million people. And so when we think of, well, man, how could you not find David's stronghold, the city of David? It was actually discovered either in last century or just at the tail end of the 1800s by a, a British archaeologist by the name of Warren. And, 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 and he was looking at the Psalms when it said that Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains and yet where the Temple Mount is and historic Jerusalem as we know it with the walls around it and, and things, uh, it's not surrounded by mountains. It's the second highest mountain there. Mount of Olives is the highest in the Jerusalem area. And then the Temple Mount, and so to say it's surrounded by mountains is not accurate. So he said it's got to be lower. And then he was down and he was near the Gihon Springs, and suddenly he found that, that he, he, he brushed some, some brush aside and, and wind came, and he found the shaft. And as they just worked from the shaft up, they discovered under, and you say, how can you bury a city? When you have heavy sands blow in in the Middle East, much of the archaeological sites are 30 to 40 feet covered by sand and silt. And so he found that, that, that from there, he found the ancient city of Jerusalem, which the Jebusites had, had held, called Jebus. And so when they uncovered David's city, it was three times the size of our parking lot. Anybody been to Joy recently? Okay. It doesn't take you long, unless you're really overweight like me and we just come from a buffet. It doesn't take long to loop our, our, our property. If you make, blow it up by three times. So the ancient city of David, the stronghold of David, which was impressive, and I'll tell you more about it, was between 9 and 11 uh, acres. Now, this is what's very interesting because, you see, we think in context, we read about David and we think of, of a court and it's like majorly royal and it's like something that you'd watch, you know, Braveheart, you know, and let's get Longshanks, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. But you have to realize that when, when Israel went in and took their land, they took it by tribes and every tribe was like the early colonies of the United States. We used to be 13 small nations. 
because King George of England signed a, uh, a peace with 13 small nations. That's what the tribes of Israel were like. They were regional. And so, and so you'd have a leader like Joshua. Therefore, where Joshua lived would be kind of the capital of Ephraim. And, and, and he had led the United uh, group too. But you'd have tribal chieftains in each area. And so, so they were somewhat vulnerable because they would try to find a hill and build some kind of a stronghold there. And, and, and these, in terms of forts or fortresses, would be kind of primitive, and we would look at them and go, man, that's, that's, that's not that serious of a defense. But you're dealing with, with people, the armies weren't as heavily trained as they are today. The weaponry was not nearly as sophisticated. And so you'd have these loose-knit kind of encampments and enclosures, but it didn't seem as serious as what came later. The same thing concerning not only the cities, but also the, the temple. David, in his Psalms, he talks about, you know, I was glad when they said to me, come to the house of the Lord, how I remember how I went with the throng to your house. And he spoke of an amazing temple, which he saved about $3 billion to help build. That's when you, when you, when you do the, the numbers on how much money David actually set aside for the building of the amazing temple, it wasn't built in his lifetime. It was built in his son Solomon's lifetime. He had prepared the money. But he had this amazing place where they were not centered on the blood sacrifice aspect, but the presence of God aspect. And so we had seen that that way back in the time of the judges, there was a guy, a, a very corrupt kind of high priest by the name of Eli. He was raising up a young disciple by the name of Samuel. And Eli, there were prophecies that God gave to Samuel and gave to Eli that said, dude, because you have not trained your family, and basically, I'm, I'll, I'll condense it in American, because you're a scum and you're letting your boys sleep with the girls at the temple, and you're not honoring the, temp, the, the, the sacrifice, his sons would come in and when people were offering burnt sacrifice and wave offerings before the Lord, he would come in and his boys and they'd take the best meat cuts and they'd say, shouldn't we burn the fat first? Be quiet or I'll forcibly hurt you. So they were gangsters and God finally said, when I waste the house of Eli, it'll make your ears tingle. And so I try to tell people, there's only... Both Eli warned his children and Abraham warned his. The difference is Abraham enforced it. Yeah. Well, I tell my kids they shouldn't do this. I told my kids they shouldn't do that. I told, good, you're at Eli level. When you start enforcing, you're at Abraham level. And so here, here this was that, that during the time of Eli, the Ark of the Covenant was taken out kind of like a magic treasure chest Hey, if we take the Ark of the Covenant with us and we go out against the Philistines, we're going to beat them. And it happened totally different. They went out with the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant got taken over by the Philistines. And the rest of the story is hilarious. Philistines took it and they set it up in front of Dagon, I mean Dagon, their God. And Dagon kept falling down the head of Dagon. And then they were all getting hemorrhoids. That's one way for God to get you. That's part of our prayer is, Lord, if they don't pray this year, Lord, give them hemorrhoids. Um, and so, 
So here were all these people from Philistine city to Philistine city. They're all getting hemorrhoids. And think about, you know, Philistines aren't good people. You know, if, if I'm getting hemorrhoids, the last thing I'm going to do is tell the guys in my connect group, hey, you need to have this, this, this art, art piece at your house. <laughs> Wouldn't you warn your, your people? Hey, you probably don't want to take this because we're all, we've got emeralds. I love old King James, emeralds. And they're passing it. Finally, they send the ark on an ox cart and it lands at a place and some faithful people tend it. Watch this. It's the time of the judges. Saul becomes king and Saul never one time says, I want with me the presence of God. No, because he wanted it easy. He wanted to find a man of God like Samuel. Samuel, you talk to God. You're close to God. But David wasn't that way. David said, I've got to have God with me and I've got to have a secure city where my babies are not going to be threatened. Where, 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 where I'm going to raise up warriors and we're going to come smoking out of here from time to time. Under David's reign, Israel expanded its borders farther than they ever have even maintained. A warrior and a worshiper. And so what happened was he was made king in Hebron. And after seven years of Hebron, then when Saul passed away, all of Israel said, David, you've always been the one that led us out. Would you lead all of us? At that point, he said, I need a place. I need a place. And he said, I've seen a place at Jebus, up in the heights, the city we call Jerusalem. And I've seen the, 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 the walls. They were about 20 feet broad. And the Jebusites had such a stronghold, they said this to David and his guys, you'd like, you'd like to throw us out, but we could defend our city with the blind and the lame. And David, being a man that had ran through the wilderness, a man that knew warfare, he knew one thing, you can't have a city without water. And the Gihon Springs, which you can see the, the building and the Gihon Springs is a very strong flowing spring slash creek that flows there. And so part of the Jebusite city was built over part of the springs where the water was. And part of it was accessible from below. And the Jebusites, if they were threatened, they could lower their buckets down into the Gihon Springs and they could get water and David realized a frontal attack, a traditional attack against Jebus would be suicidal. So he said to his guys, he said, whoever, I'm going to use American context, whoever is shimmying up that, that water channel. Like think about shimmying up a deep well. If you see the pictures of it, there's just a slight incline. And Joab, who was always hungry for power, David's cousin, or actually David's, uh, David's nephew, Joab said, I'll be your huckleberry. And he and a few guys, they shimmied up there. They opened the gates. They took the stronghold. And what did the Jews do? They said, no more will we leave these springs unguarded. And they put a tower on each side and blocked in the Gihon Springs. 
So David had the strong place because you do not want a weak place where the marauders can come in and wipe out your worship and wipe out your, lo- your lifestyle. This is why, in my obsessions, love God, build strong local churches. I talk to pastors a lot. Some pastors think that church is about a gathering. It's not about a gathering. It's about building people that know how to loop and be compact together and defend the babies and actually teach the Bible and actually put biblical expectations. And and David wanted this process of God and the people he loved. It had to start with a place that you could hold. And he said, there's no place like this, this, this stronghold. And when they secured the stronghold, he said, bring it up, boys. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant. And so they, they blew it. Let me tell you something. The Ark of the Covenant was not that big, but it packed a wallop. It's kind of like getting your little, your little kid comes over and they're trying to lick the receptacle. How many of you know that's not wise to let your kid do that? There's a difference between an electrical outlet and an ice cream. Both are unhealthy, but that's where the similarities end. And so the guys, as they were trying to bring the ark to David, they touched it. They got zapped. David was upset. How can I bring your presence to me, Lord, if you zap everybody? He said, you got to do it right. How many of you know that's a great training? When we don't get the results in our life, did we ever go back to the manual and find out, just do it right? No, I want you to do it my way. No, get back in the manual and do it right. And David went and he got broken before God. And then the rest is history that Michael, Saul's daughter, that was his wife, she despised David as he's dancing. This tough guy that stood in front of hundreds and thousands of people that went zapping after the Amalekites when they had taken this this small village that he had called Ziklag, and he and his 600 men heard a word from God. After his men were so broken because their wives and their families were taken away, they wanted to kill David. And the Bible said he sat, he encouraged himself in the Lord. This guy that was so tough, he's dancing. He wasn't naked. He was down to his, you know, under clothing like a common person. Because let me tell you something, in the presence of God, there's no big deals there. We're all equal at the cross, my friends. I drop all my titles when I go to my father. I'm nobody. I need him. And I need his presence. And Michael despised him in your heart, in her heart. And so David created this amazing temple. It was simply a tent. Meanwhile, in Gibeon, probably 23 miles away, they, they still had the order, and David made sure they were still offering sacrifices, and they were still having the former Mosaic tabernacle worship going on there. But the people that wanted God, they had to come up to Jerusalem. And David would talk about this. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Wow. 
How many of you think that I should blow off all restraint and just preach for an hour? All, the, all those, all yays? All nays? Okay, okay. Your silence shows that Kim has intimidated you. She's made you afraid. <laughs> the name Jerusalem means city of peace or abode of peace. Yah comes from the Hebrew yara, to throw or to flow. I want to tell you something. You come to God's house. You come to heavenly Jerusalem. You make your home Jerusalem. You make your home heaven on earth. And the people that come in, you know what's hitting them? Ha ha. Ha ha. Yara. We're throwing peace at you. You come to the Schmelzer house, you will eat pasta or you'll be evicted. I think God's house should be where we come in and we go, oh gosh. There's all kinds of traffic in the streets, but here, the family of God can come and meet with the one whose presence we cannot live without. So David's tabernacle, the tent of David, which Amos said it was fallen down and God was going to restore it that the residue of the Gentiles might come in. And, and David was prophetic of Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice, he was the altar, and he was the high priest. He offered himself. And we Gentiles, we all are a kingdom now, believers, Jews and Gentiles. All believers are now priests. We can come before the very presence of God. And David was getting visions of this beautiful temple. And then he put aside money to build a temple. And the Lord sent Nathan the prophet said, David, your heart was right, but it's not for you. You've been a man of war so that others can be people of peace. There's a lot of people in this church. You've been people of war. You fought so that your kids could have a better life. You've spiritually walked in holiness so that people following you would not be discouraged and disheartened by compromise. David, someone else will build a temple, but David had the blueprint in his heart. It says here that Jerusalem is compacted. It, when you see the ancient city, you can realize it's, it's stone. It was made for defense first. Everything else is secondary and quite lovely. And so there was both several sides of the stronghold were on hilly ground. They had their water supply and they were ready to fight, but they were ready to worship. I'm going to get right now to the end of my message by talking about the New Testament connection to these pictures. The Bible says in Colossians 2.9 concerning Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You come to, to joy. We sing a lot about Jesus. We, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We spend a lot of time in prayer. And, you know, there are people that, that say, I don't know if I need to praise 
like the praise people. They're like special people. They have no life. No, they, they have real life. Many of us are chasing things that don't satisfy. And then when we're so sick of sand in our mouth, we find another sandy slope to drink from that. But let me tell you something. That the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, is the thing that will give you fullness of joy now, through your life, and in time to come. The stronghold, or the Jerusalem, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24 says, concerning believers in the New Testament age, it says, but you, that would be all of us, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Wow. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. The church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, unto him be glory in the church, both now and evermore. Ephesians says that it was, the church was the eternal purpose of God. God is obsessed like his son, David, his forefather, David. Jesus is concerned to bring the presence of God to you and to help you to get it together. I come to joy and I feel like someone's always messing with my thinking. Hello, Captain Obvious, that's true. I don't know about you, but I hear ridiculous stuff out in the world. It all makes sense to me. Why? I think there are a lot of unbelievers that are starting to say, man, we're hearing some crazy stuff. I don't know what I am. I don't know if I'm a girl or a boy. When I have to get up and go fight a rat or something, I want to be a girl. Kim says, you're the guy. <laughs> well, not in Oregon. I can choose. <laughs> Why does Satan want the fragmentation of family and truth and words? You can't say anything anymore without being politically incorrect. Because if you destroy people's ability to reason and think then all of a sudden you won't have a family and a house that's compacted together. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. I want to know that somebody's going to be here and going to raise a beautiful young virgin that loves God and aren't psychopathic and get over themselves and quit looking in the mirror all the time and love that baby girl because I want my Wesley. Well, dude, that's not even your child. It doesn't matter. I don't want to do anything. That's not three generations in mind. The way that Kim and I live together, the way that we speak, the way that we spend our money, the way that we have the setting of our table needs to reflect 
that long after we're gone, the people that we've touched or touched improperly are left with the mess. And God spoke to us in 1982. He said, I want you to go to Medford and establish my kingdom there. What's the kingdom? It's where you walk in the streets of Jerusalem and you see this humble king that you have no clue what fire, what fury is in his bones against the enemies of God as he welcomes you and says, it's good to go to the Lord's house. Jerusalem's a city compacted. Yerushalayim, that beautiful city where God throws his peace at you, where when we get together, we drop our titles and we're like knights of the round table. We care that you have enough to eat. We care that you feel good about yourself. We feel we care that together we speak the same things together. That we speak the language of holiness. We speak the language of care and sacrifice for the generations to follow us. Just planting a simple church would have been real easy. But to have the praisers and the singers and the warriors I'll finish with this there were some guys that were kinsmen to Saul and one of them by the name of Abner he came in he said David we've always respected you we're, we're from the family of Benjamin from Saul and David said this he said Abner if you guys come in peace and you come, welcome. But if you come just to cause trouble <laughs> later days, and those of the tribe of Benjamin that came in, they were faithful and they were good. Pastor Steve, what's your goal? Biggest church in Bedford? No, 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 not at all. If the city of David was only nine acres, nine to 11 acres, maybe it isn't how big we are, but how big we are on the inside. I've told people, my goal is not to have the largest church, but the largest family. What you feel, you visitors that come in here, you see these people love each other because they are kin. If you're here and you're looking for God, God wants you today. He wants to bring you into his family. In fact, that's what I'll end on. Wow. How many of you will read Psalm 122 and it'll talk to you differently next time, huh? I, I salute you. You are the living stones that make up Jerusalem. Stay in your place. Don't run when an actual demon shows up. Hold the high ground. Just hold the high ground. It all works out. Week after week, people come into the house of the Lord and they've just seen shattering, abandonment. Seen people that they 
really loved and admired their parents just walk away from each other and they're confused should I ever marry because it doesn't seem to work for anyone else and I want to tell you something that life comes together when we do like David said he said Lord unite my heart to fear your name Lord Take away the double-mindedness out of my heart. Help me to get it together. Because when I get it together under your leadership, I can help affect others. And so people come in and maybe they've just been shattered by what they've seen around them. Or they believe in all the Facebook miracles. Everybody has a wonderful to-be-envied life on Facebook. But you find out that in many cases it's pretense. They're just as desperate and lonely as you are. Well, I want to tell you something. Coming to God is not a scam. In fact, I've led many, many people to God who will never come to Joy Fellowship. Led them in Seattle to the Lord. Led them in Portland. Led them at gospel missions. One guy that I led to the Lord from a gospel mission dropped by one day. Said, he said, my name's this and this. And he said, Steve got me saved in Portland. Man, I can sell God. You don't have to come to joy, but you need God. And then come to joy, please. But the way to salvation is to know that the one that never sinned lived the perfect life for you, and then he himself took your sins, our sins, and the sins of the world upon himself and was killed under the approval of Father God because that's the only way that the sins of the world could be paid for. God said, you were perfectly holy as a receipt. I'll raise you from the dead. And three days later, Jesus arose and we don't have Jesus on the cross anymore around our neck. <laughs> We've got an empty tomb. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know, Man, I'm, I'm messed up. I've got addictions and problems and craziness and relationship difficulty, but I need God. We're going to let you join God right now. If everyone would bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and say, I, I want God, we call it joining God. He's done everything to join you. He paid for your sin. He's calling you today to be in his house, to be saved, to be a part of his family. And the greater than King David will defend you and love you and nurture you and pastor you. The Lord is your shepherd. Every one of you that came here and you say, I want God, raise your hands. I want to start seeing who... Who wants God? I see a hand there, boldly up there. Any other hands? Come on now. I see about four hands over here. Come on now. This is a good day. Let's get a lot of people into the kingdom of God today. Hallelujah. I see another hand here. Come on, come on, come on. It's awesome. It's awesome. Hallelujah. Right now, for every one of you that raised your hand, what we're going to pray a prayer and pray it with us and then you have the freedom to pray any number of prayers but basically it comes this way God help me 
I can't do this thing on my own. I need the blood of Jesus to wash away my sins. And we're just going to pray to receive the Lord. And then uh, Gina will give you some instructions on how to follow up. We have a card you can fill out to get uh, some better direction. Let's all pray this. Dear Father, I need you. I thank you that you have done everything to join me. You sent Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly. And he was crucified to take away the sins of the world. You raised him from the dead because it worked. And whoever would believe on you and believe on Jesus shall be saved. I pray, God, save me. You said whoever would call on your name would not be ashamed. Take away the shame out of my life. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. I receive you today, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a mighty hand clap.